Old Japan's first point guard and Trailblazers reporter Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers from the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making this show your first listen, coming at you every single weekday. Make it a part of your daily routine. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked On Blazers, your team every day. In today's show, we're talking the art of a rebuild. A little bit later in the program, we're going to bring on some hosts from Locked On Rockets and Locked On Thunder and talk about two examples of kind of a rebuild, what went wrong in a certain approach and what went right in another one. It's just two examples of what can happen. Um, I think there is value in sort of understanding when teams do pivot and go a little bit younger and usher in a new era, what needs to go right, what what can go wrong and all of those things. Uh, obvious caveat supply here. Damian Lillard is still on the roster. Um, if, if, if he's there on night one and he is part of the plan and plays, you know, regular minutes for at any period of time, then the Blazers are at least largely similar to what they were last season when they were going for it. <laughs> like, uh, at least according to what they said, I think at media day, they try to prep us for them being bad, um, but, but they really committed to it aggressively. Uh, but in, in general, um, like some of this, the premise of this particular episode hinges on Damian Lillard's uh, availability and whether he's on the team. Right. Uh, I, I kind of get it. I'm not, um, I'm not wishing him away or, or deciding that it's already happened. There's certainly a world in which Damon Lord returns and, and is on the roster for an extended period of time. But I think it seems like this team is so clearly set up for a rebuild based on everything they have and have not done this summer that thinking about what a team looks like when they pivot and go young has some value, right? Like their best players or their best prospects heck probably like they're somewhere something like their fifth and sixth best players if not higher on the list right depending on how how good you think scoot henderson is he, he could be they're pretty easily yeah i'd say fifth and sixth best player pretty comfortably like right now and maybe higher um you know when, when those players are young and un, untested 19 and, and shade and sharp 20 it's like you are if you were not rebuilding, you certainly are building into something that's next and i think even if they're building into something like an era that's at minimum a season if not several seasons away um thinking about what it means to rebuild has value um i am in some ways selling you on the premise of this episode but i also think it's worth considering like sort of where they at roster rise roster wise right like they're young. Even the back half of their roster is young. They don't have a ton of players like Yusuf Nurkic and and, and um, Jeremy Grant have played nine seasons. If, if Dame's on the team, and, and, and I think eventually one way or another he won't be, it seems pretty clear both sides are ready to move on. Um, you know, he, you know, he's played 11 seasons. It'll be his 12th season. Every time, it's, you know, he's, it, this is we're entering year six for him, but pretty much everybody else is is on their fifth year or below. Like the roster is is inexperienced. It's it's, it's heavily inexperienced, um, and and that's by design. Like you, the Blazers have um, the Blazers have had opportunities if they wanted to say, okay, we'll build a, like a sort of more veteran roster. So if Dame does decide to come back, we can do this thing. Like they've they've chosen this path. They've chosen this path. This was the summer they had to choose a path. They chose the path. Dame kind of followed them by choosing it, uh, being more aggressive in him saying, I don't want to go down that path with y'all. 
I also think it's worth considering what does rebuild mean. I think that, um, I think it is a term as loose as tanking in the league. People use tanking to mean anytime a team loses a couple games. Oh, they're tanking. Some teams are just bad. When the Blazers like pull, like pull the plug the last couple of years and they like hold guys out with fake injuries and start signing 10 days, 10 day guys, that's tanking. Being bad is just being bad. Some teams are bad. Some teams thought they were good and end up bad. And then you have to decide whether you tank or not. But I think rebuild is in some ways is used so loosely that I think it's worth um, for me defining a little bit what I am talking about here. I am talking about a decision to shift into a new era, a decision to pivot onto what is next. Typically, that would be mean that the majority of your roster is young, but it really means this used to be what our focus was with this team. We had X and X players and this was their sidekick. And this is how, and this is how we operated. And we are now rebuilding because the next iteration of this team is going to have this player as the headliner and this player as a sidekick or these things. It doesn't mean you're all young. Like you can still have veterans in a rebuild. You can still have, uh, you know, players from the previous iteration in a rebuild, but it is truly the shifting of an era. And that's what I think the Blazers are headed for, whether whenever the Dame situation settles itself one way or another, they're headed for a rebuild. So whether that happens in August, September, October, November, uh, you know how the months go, but like if it, if it waits till February, I guess I just missed a couple. I should have given them, I should have given you all the months, right? <laughs> That's good radio is listing them months out. Uh, but regardless, they're they're headed for it. They're headed for a new era. So what I want to do to close to, to in the last couple segments to end the show is talk about what a rebuild might look like for the Blazers by using two examples, the Houston Rockets of the last couple seasons and the Oklahoma City Thunder of the last couple seasons, because I think they are really good case studies in what can go wrong and then how you have to pivot out of why something went wrong and why things go right. How do you quickly pivot from a team that's like, oh yeah, you were pretty good two years in the two years in the gutter, and then you climb back out of it? How do you how do you move quickly from that as opposed to the Rockets who spent three years being really bad and then have basically signed a bunch of vets to prop up a youth movement, like to say, okay, uh, that kind of worked. Now at least we have some young players in the roster. We'll go another direction versus what OKC did. We will talk about those two examples in the second and third segments. First. Before we get there, I want to tell you about FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book, and it's the best place to get in on all of your MLB action because right now you can get 10 times your first bet amount and bonus bets up to 200 bucks when you bet on Major League Baseball. That's right. Bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-unders to your fees to nerfies to who hits the home runs to how many strikeouts a pitcher has, all on an app that's safe, secure, super easy to use. Plus, when you win, get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right. Let's jump into my conversation with Jackson Gatlin host of Locked on Rockets. So we'll talk about what went wrong or the pitfalls of going super young to look at one example of a team that recently went through a rebuild. Joining me now, host of Locked on Rockets and tanking expert. Nobody knows 60 lost seasons quite like Jackson, at least of the recent vintage. Jackson, how you doing? 
Doing fantastic. Ready to talk a little bit about uh, the few things that maybe went right during the Houston Rockets uh, initial start of their rebuild and the many, many mountain of things that went wrong. I did. When I offered, when I invited you to come on here, did I say you were allowed to talk about things that went right for the Rockets? No, you said <laughs> I just had to talk about things that went wrong. So I, I guess, you know what, let's let, let me, let me retroactively, we'll take that back. I'm not going to have any positivity. It's all going to be just terrible. Everything that went sideways for Houston. Indeed. Okay. So that's uh, as long as we're on the same page. So uh, the, the Rockets in the bubble, they make the second round of the playoffs. Um, then th things go really wrong from there. Mike D'Antoni leaves. Um, James Harden shows up bigger than he was in the past, um, less enthusiastic. And then they've won 17, 20 and 22 games. Uh, the Blazers are not embarking on that specific journey necessarily because they've been bad the last two years, but they are probably pivoting from a franchise star into what's next. Kind of walk us through what happened with the sort of post James Harden era in Houston and maybe why they ended up the way they did. Yeah. So I think the first thing that we have to note is that they didn't necessarily want to completely bottom out initially in the pivot from the post James Harden era. One of the reasons that they went with the return that they got from the Brooklyn Nets and then also uh, kind of looped in Victor Oladipo and acquired him as well in that same kind of James, James Harden return was they wanted to prioritize flexibility. They wanted to potentially just be that kind of scrappy, like, you know, underdog seventh, eighth seed team with John Wall, Oladipo, Christian Wood that very first season. And they actually showed some signs of life where they won like seven, six or seven games out of eight in a row, like, you know, and, right after things kind of got settled and Oladipo got factored into the rotation and everything. But then Christian Wood got hurt. He missed a chunk of games. And everything kind of went downhill from that point forward. And it was kind of like midway through that first season that they realized, hey, like we're not going to even be like a scrappy ragtag team that can like maybe shoot for a play-in spot to make something happen. So let's just kind of pivot Let's shut guys down and let's go for, you know, the best lottery odds possible because at the time they owed their pick or there was a pick swap that could have been conveyed to the OKC Thunder had their pick fallen out of the top four. So it really was a coin flip chance for them to actually hold on to the pick that ultimately turned into Jalen Green. And thankfully it did because otherwise they would have, you know, set their rebuild back by basically an entire year had that pick landed at five or lower. And then uh, OKC would have gotten these swap rights to that as part of the, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade from a year prior. So they didn't necessarily set out with the idea of, okay, we're trading James Harden. We want to be instantaneously bad. We want to be the right. worst team possible. But then as that first season kind of transpired, they were like, okay, what is, what do we have now? What is our opportunity? So a lot of people look at that first year as like the transitional year because the James Harden trade happened mid season or, you know, 10 games into the season. Right. And then they look at Jalen Green's rookie year as essentially the first true year of the rebuild where there was actually a clear direction. Hey, we're going to be young. We're going to be exciting. We're going to be really bad. And that's exactly what they accomplished and, 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 you know, set out to do. So that the, the sort of transitional year, they go 17 and 55. I, I think they went winless in February, something like that. Maybe they won a yeah, game. It, was, it was bad. No, they, they lost like 20 <laughs> straight games in February. It was, it was bad. like, there was a stretch. I'm, I don't have it in front of me, but like, I think I'm not 100% sure, but I think they went winless in February that year. It was like, oh, oh. Like I, think they, is... I think they broke it against the Raptors at like the very end of February. But yeah, for the, like basically there they lost go. like every game in February. Yeah. What a, 
what a tough, what a tough stretch for someone who creates a daily podcast. So then they, <laughs> the following year, they get Jalen Green, they go 20 and 62. And then they kind of embarked on, they kind of committed to this, we're going to be young, right? And, and that's what you do. You draft a, you, you get a top three pick. You kind of, this is what you do. Like you, you kind of make this, this position. They weren't crazy young. They still had um, Eric Gordon under light hostage situation. Um, what kind of, what was the, when they made, when they launched the rebuild in earnest that year, and that's the 20, uh, 21, 22 season, what did it look like? And why did it go? Why, why did they kind of stay as, as sort of messy as they were in year two or year one of, of, of the, of the launch? I think there's kind of three factors here and, and one of them will directly apply to any team that is looking to embark upon their own rebuilding journey. And that's the fact that if you're going to rebuild, you're going to be a ridiculously young team and young players are bad. They just are. They're inconsistent. (laughs) They don't know how to play defense. They're, you know, they have some crazy highs offensively. You'll get like one 30 burger, but then you'll get like a bunch of games where they don't even like crack double digits or the efficiency is just awful. Like that's what young teams are. And that, that applies across the board to all 30 teams in the NBA. The two things that apply to Houston that maybe don't apply to other teams is they had a fascination with this idea, this experiment to run Kevin Porter Jr. as a point guard. And I I was all for it that very first year, right? I was like, you know what? Fine. You're going to be bad this year. You want to be bad. There's a goal to tank. Cool. Give him a year to experiment. Maybe, maybe there's something there. Maybe it's a diamond in the rough situation. And maybe you tap into something that every other team in the association overlooked. And then Rafael Stone looks like a genius if that turns out and it actually works out and he can be a point guard. And then Steven Silas and his coaching staff was also just really subpar for this group of guys. I do still think that maybe one day Steven Silas can turn things around and get another crack at a head coaching gig, but he was not equipped to deal with a roster full of 19, 20, and 21-year-olds without ready to go like NBA experience. I think he's the exact type of coach you would love to come in and just kind of massage egos and placate a little bit with some like established star caliber talent, which is essentially what they brought him in to do with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. But then that entire situation just unraveled so quickly in, in really impressive fashion that he was just left with the remains, which again, wasn't even really an NBA caliber roster that first year. And then they go full bore into the rebuild. So those two factors are definitely significant as far as why things looked as bad as they did through these past two seasons. Okay. So then, I mean, you kind of, as, as you slowly creep, creep out of the darkness and take, take a couple steps up the, up the ladder, get up the couple rungs, they get Jabari Smith. Um, he, he wasn't super good as a rookie, but he looks like he's going to be a very good basketball player. I'm pretty confident in him being really good in the NBA. Um, then they pivot to whatever this is now, right? Like whatever this version of the Rockets is, which is like go listen to Lockdown Rockets. They're um, they're a team. They're a team heading pretty aggressively in another direction. But what did they need to? So they go seventeen and seventeen fifty five. They go twenty and sixty two. They go twenty two and sixty last season. What did they need last year that they didn't have in kind of year two of the rebuild? And like what what were they missing? Was it just youth? Was it just like you could use some adults in the room, or or was it just continue sort of more of the same that you talked about? No, no, it was definitely they needed more adults in the room. Eric Gordon was essentially the only veteran on the roster going into this year. But again, that was in a way it was kind of by design. The Rockets had a very brief window of opportunity where 
where they could be bad and they controlled their own draft capital during this brief three-year window. Again, they gambled big time on that very first year and it paid out and they got Jalen Green. But then they had two years where they still controlled their draft capital. But now moving forward, starting this next season, 2023-2024, they owe three more picks to the OKC Thunder and they are not in control of their own future. So basically, they had a finite amount of time to be as bad as they possibly could to garner the top talent via the draft. And they always had this offseason, 2023, summer 2023, pegged as like the offseason where they were going to pivot and they were going to do like a hard reset where they had this projected 60 plus million in cap room. They knew that they were going to cut ties with Steven Silas as the head coach and bring in a new head coach, Ime Odoka, widely regarded as a phenomenal head coach around the NBA landscape. Some people, depending on who you ask, might say he's a top five coach, right? He took the Boston Celtics to the finals in his very first year there. So obviously this is a very different team than that Boston Celtics team with a, a more established Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the supporting cast of characters around them. But what Houston did do, and I think they did do this well. I know you said I wasn't allowed to talk about what they did Okay, well, you but... could do it. We're 10 minutes in. We're 10 minutes okay, in. Okay, okay. They, in the macro, they did a fantastic job. Because in the macro, they walk away with an, an abundance of young, you know, very, very impressive talent in six guys, their core six guys moving forward, if you will, Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, Jabari Smith Jr., Tari Eason, and now Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore from this most recent draft. You also add Kevin Porter Jr. to that mix, depending on what his future ultimately looks like. His role is very clearly going to be different now, bringing in Fred Van Vliet and Amin Thompson as your actual point guards on the roster. Right. So thank goodness the experiment there is finally done after extending it well beyond, you know, the show shelf life that it should have had, you know, when, when they decided to first kind of bring that to the table, but now you elevate the coaching, right? You bring in a real adult in the room, which was missing. Steven Silas is just not that guy. Ime Odoka could not be just complete polar opposite from Steven Silas, as far as an NBA head coach is concerned. And then you also have the adults in the room now with Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. You have the, hopefully what is going to be internal growth and development from all these guys, Jalen and Alperin Shingun heading into year three, Jabari and Tari heading into year two. Amin Thompson, who coming in a little bit older as a rookie at 20 years old, looks like he's a bit more ready to go right out of the gate than some other younger draftees, maybe who come in at 18, 19 years old and don't have quite the translatable skills that he has right out of the gate. So while it was a lot of pain tolerance over those three years during the area that they clearly define as like, Hey, we're going to be bad. We're going to be awful. Now they're clearly pivoting to this next stage where you're going to see them take a step forward. And I think if you compare it to maybe a rebuild, like say, the Thunder, the one thing they could have done better is they could have probably identified that Steven Silas was not going to be their long-term coach uh, much earlier on in the process, and they probably could have gone and found a much better coach for the rebuilding process to maybe get a little bit more out of these guys on a day-to-day -day basis, and you know maybe Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun and the other young guys, their development would be a little bit further along than they are currently, but I think in the grand scheme of things, you also look around the NBA at guys like a Devin Booker or a Joel Embiid who went through similar situations where their teams were really, really bad for yeah, a Devin really Booker long time. I don't think Devin Booker won a 26th game in the NBA until his sixth NBA season. Um, he spent a, go, lot of right? spent a lot of time losing. Yeah, so you look at situations like that, and it does does the losing do irreparable damage to these guys and the longevity or their, you know how their careers ultimately pan out? Probably not. So it hurts a lot, and it feels really bad when you're going through it, especially when you're doing a daily podcast talking about the team that's doing <laughs> on, all of that losing. But now that you're out and you're on the other end of it, like there is, we're, we're I think Rockets fans collectively are going to be able to look back on it and be like, you know what, they did the right thing because 
rebuilding and bottoming out in the NBA is not necessarily a surefire way to get back to the top, but it gives you the best chances of acquiring talent and then it's up to your front office to be able to do something with that talent, right. either developing it via coaching or like, and keeping it in house or flipping some of the talent that you get into more established proven talent. That's, you know, ready to get out of a bad situation. Yeah. I think the worry for the Blazers fans as they embark on what this is, and obviously we're kind of at the unknown here in the middle of July with um, whatever happens with the roster is like bad developmental minutes. Do you think you saw that where it's like, Jalen Green just playing in a way that, it, you know, he's he's playing 34 minutes a night, but they're 34, like, not valuable minutes? Or is that just nonsense, right? Like, you play, you figure out, you make mistakes, you grow. And like you said, losing doesn't poison you in the future if you get some more stability organizationally, like... Yeah, I, I don't really subscribe to that notion as far as like bad developmental minutes. Honestly, there were definitely some nights where you're looking at things and, and you would think, oh, man, like, you know, if, if Jalen had some structure around him, like this guy could easily be a 30 point per night kind of guy, because so much of it was just like pulling teeth where there was so little structure, so little organization. Right. Um, and so from that perspective, it will kind of hurt. Like there probably are going to be some points down the line where you're looking at like just the immense amount of talent that Scoot Henderson has. And you're like, if this guy just had some help or if like. They were if they put in some things to really just kind of actually have a system around him, then things would look a little bit better. And there's going to be some growing pains because of that. But I think all reps are good reps at the end of the day for these young guys. They just need to get out there and hoop for the first few years and really try to figure out who they are as players before you need to start saying, OK, well, we have to change this or Jalen needs this, you know, or Scoot needs this specific thing to be able to be successful as a player because nobody really knows who is who he is as a player yet. And we probably won't for a few years at least. Yeah, I, I am. I'm also on team. It, I'm also on team. Just let them play. I think there is a world in which you go over the waterfall and the minutes aren't useful. But for the most part, you just want you want like to see enough patterns of NBA basketball, NBA defense, NBA offenses, and then get into a situation where someone who can make now that you've learned the patterns can help you get into the right spot. Um, I'm 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 with you. So uh, thanks for thanks for giving us the sort of the 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 leading us out of the darkness with the sort of path of the rockets hopefully uh what are we 2026 portland trailblazers will be on something some sort of similar timeline uh go listen to jackson on lockdown rockets he does a great job uh nobody's covering the team better appreciate you appreciate your time jackson thanks for making me relive my trauma <laughs> thanks again to jackson for joining the program in the third segment i want to talk about the other way a rebuild can go, as opposed to pitfalls of youth, how you can quickly pivot out of being one of the bad teams to being a team on the rise in a hurry. We'll talk with host of Locked On Thunder, Ryland Styles, about how the Thunder did it. After two years in the trough, they look like a team that's headed for something bigger. They're on the rise. We'll talk about that in the third segment. Join me there, won't you? Still a pass, first point on. Still Mike Richmond, you are still listening to Locked on lasers what i want to do to close the show is play my conversation with ryland styles the host of locked on thunder and how the oklahoma city thunder spent a couple years after er pivoting away from two eras from the paul george and russell westbrook era to the chris paul era to now the sga era that looks like a team that's going to be good for a while how did they do it with just two years of being stinky and not a whole bunch of top tier draft picks joining me now the host of Locked On Thunder and an expert in losing and then finding a way to win, Ryland Styles. How are you doing, Ryland? I'm doing good. How are you doing? 
I am living the frigging dream. We are talking in today's episode about sort of the art or path of different rebuilding, I don't know, strategies, but just sort of rebuilding journeys. And the Thunder, um, an, an affront to the league, an insult to the sport of basketball, they spent two years losing and now they're good again. So how did they go And I went, like, from, um, you know, a darn good team with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. And then they kind of had that middle year pivot with Chris Paul when they made the playoffs and they were good when everyone thought they were going to be awful and they still won 45 games or whatever it was. How did they go from that to what they are now? And sort of what is the path to rebuilding so quickly? Yeah, I, th I think that it's interesting because, you know, you, you had that Chris Paul year, but you, were, you understood that was kind of a anomaly that you kind of still needed to break up that team because they were not going to be able to repeat that success and you lose Billy Donovan and go hire a new coach in Mark Zegnall. And so with the thunder, the easy answer is to go get a guy like Shea and, and you trade yeah. for, you know, your big blockbuster trade with Paul George to initially blow up your team includes you getting back a superstar player in SGA who finishes top five in MVP voting uh, in his first team, all NBA uh, that, that helps a lot, but I think it goes it's deeper than that. I, I think that it really does go deeper than that. Uh, there's a few things that the Thunder did that that separates them from the Magic, the, the Pistons, the Rockets, and the reason why it took them two bad years to get back up, even while not playing a single top five pick. Like they, they still have not had a top five pick suit up for their roster yet, it was on their team yet, with Chet Holmgren being out all of last year. So w when you look at the roster, uh, number one, you you amass all these draft picks and you let them develop, and you also uh, pull the plug on some of them and just be comfortable in that knowing we're going to hit on some guys. We're also going to miss like tail Maldon led the team in minutes uh, during that season with no fans in 2020, 2021 led the team in minutes. The thunder invested a second round pick in them. They thought he was going to be good. And the next year he's gone and he's just right. not good. Like he, he was not good, did not play much. And then, and then the next year was gone uh, and just was cut in, in, in during last year where they won 40 games. So like, that was a guy that they invested a lot of minutes into, but they didn't hold on to just because they drafted him. But there's other players where you give them time to develop and you and you let them make mistakes, like Poku, who last year before his injury had the best year of his career and looked kind of like a more competent player. And it was noticeable even on the outside, to the outside NBA world, where they were like, hey, Poku's actually really improved. Sadly, of course, he broke his leg, so that kind of yeah. ended that last year. But, you know, so balancing when to give minutes and when to pull the plug uh, matters a lot. And then also, I think the biggest thing is, and the biggest kicker aside from Shea, is organization. Like the Thunder always played with a purpose under Mark Dagnall. And so even whenever the Thunder were rebounding, besides the black eye of the league jokes that, that, that the Thunder got thrown their way. And to basketball itself. James Naismith rolling in his grave. A team that lost on purpose. Oh my gracious. It was it was brutal. It was brutal what, what what the easy narrative became for specifically Oklahoma City whenever all other teams were also thinking. But it never happened in Portland. That, the Blazers have never lost games on purpose. It's, it's truly never happened. Exactly. And, and aside from those, whenever, whenever people actually watch the Thunder, the thing they always said was they play really hard and they play better than they actually are. I mean, you remember the Isaiah Roby game against Portland. Like they They showed up every single night with attention to detail with a plan and they, they actually stuck to it and they won, you know, more games than um, maybe their talent on paper says that they should have every single year. They've been better on defense. 
every yeah. year that their that's their the, talent the on real paper key, should have been. The defense has been good, and that they they really execute on that end. They have no reason to be, particularly uh, the the twenty one twenty two year where they were like a twenty five win team, twenty four win team, according to my notes here. It's like that team was good on defense, and then yeah. they kind of pulled the plug at the end of the year. But you could see the little, you could see it, right? Like you could see a team that was executing a plan. Yeah, and, and that team that that only won twenty something games spent time that season in the top twelve in the NBA defensively while right. also losing because they just didn't have enough but they but just because they didn't have enough didn't mean that they were going to roll over and simply not do anything they were going to at least have a plan and, and i think part of that goes back to uh the the initial year of tanking where yeah they let al horford play for half a year and in that half a year they got a lot done they let al horford play with shea and play with door and 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 show them what a veteran can do uh, use that big man to create uh, in the high post to get guys some easy buckets and some easy looks and, and, and run more of a NBA style action. In the second half of the year, they told Al Hufford to go home. Uh, and, and then from there, you also didn't let your young players develop bad habits. Shea got hurt. And, and, and so you kind of took advantage of the first half. Second half was more of a business approach of, hey, we need to lose games to get some high picks here and get Josh Giddy and, and move forward. Uh, but the first half, they had a genuine uh carved out niche and that's what you can do in a rebuild is that you can like kind of have two different seasons in one uh, so i i think that uh, part of this is just making sure that you have a purpose with each game and each season even though the seasons uh are going to you know end up with a lot of losses developing on defense and it turned into where shea led the team in the you led the nba in deflections uh led the league in loose balls got got high in steals and according to synergy shea this year was an excellent defender he was not that the last you know three or four years but it led to this point by improving your team defense all the way up until you win 40 games and and, and instilling that culture for you know the, the the kind of jump that you saw this year to 40 wins because even though chet Holmgren went down it wasn't just okay chet Holmgren got hurt in august pack it in we're just going to roll the ball out there you know shot chuck and have another tanking season that was never the plan the plan was okay well we've been here before we're going to stick to our our idea and our plan of, of of getting something out of the first half of this season and whatever happens after that happens it just so happens that the first half of the season went really well and they end up going to the play-in tournament so uh giving yourself the flexibility of not predicting also matters a lot like the thunder could have easily after check got hurt in august just said yeah the season's lost so uh we're, right. we're going to just make up an injury for shea and just call it a year and, and and lose and win 20 games they weren't predictive they let their guys play and that's how they found out that Jalen williams out of santa clara uh, is a really 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 good player uh and shea can be a 30 point per game score and luckily you know they, they were able to get over the the hump and, and go to the play and now you could look at that crudely and say well, could they lost? Could they have done what Dallas did and lose a few more games down the stretch, and it would have better improved their their draft positioning and their draft lottery uh, positioning in a in a really 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 good draft class? Sure, but they also got to play in two postseason games. One of them was down in New Orleans, where SGA outduels Brandon Ingram, and and you get this yeah. incredible moment from your young core where Josh plays well, Lou Dort plays well, SGA dominates, and, and like I think that that's more valuable than going to pick ten, which you got anyway with a trade. So so not putting yourself in a box also really helps you. Cause I think most teams, if you lose Chet Holmgren in August by October, they decide, Hey, we're just going to tank. And it's not even give their guys a shot to prove them wrong. Yeah. You touched on two things that I, that I I'm curious about bad developmental minutes. How much do you believe in um, 
you know, are there times when there are when you can say like, hey, they, you know, we got them twenty five games of action, but they weren't useful. Do you do you believe that you do you believe in that that there's like some negative development possibilities? Yeah, I, I think that there there are certainly aspects of that, and that's where you've got to really pick your spots of who you're going to play when it gets tough, who you're going to play together, who you're going to play without each other. Uh, you know, Taylor Maldon, for example, again, led the team in minutes, and maybe that allowed him for a second round pick who you know shouldn't be leading the team in minutes. Maybe that allowed him to form some bad habits that maybe kind of took away uh, from from his overall development. I will say too, the biggest case study for the Thunder is going to be Lou Dort. Because to this point, you know, Lou Dort has took has taken some bad offensive looks, uh, ha has been a bad rim finisher, has been an inefficient offensive weapon, even though even Dame Lillard calls him one of the best defenders in the NBA. Now, right. it's been excusable to this point because you haven't had anybody you want the ball in their hands more. He's really, honestly and truly, been the only player outside of Shea who's been willing to be aggressive offensively. As Josh likes to facilitate, yeah, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara kind of takes a backseat naturally with his game. And, and Mark even highlighted those two guys specifically publicly in a press conference that you know they want J-Dub to get more aggressive. They want Lou Dort to get less aggressive. And so <laughs> how do you reel back in Lou Dort this year? How do you limit his shots after he's after he spent four years getting to uh, be the second most aggressive offensive player? Uh, right. So and getting crunch time shots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Getting like a, Hey, they're going to double team Shea at the end of this, at the end of the clock, go for it, Lou. And now it's like, don't go for it, Lou. <laughs> please, yeah. Please, yeah. Now, please now it's just stand it. in the corner, Lou, and uh, we'll figure it out later with you. It's yeah. so, like, I yeah. think he's the biggest case of like, will the bad developmental minutes uh, impact anyone? Because, you know, with Shea, whenever he was out there, they always had a plan of developing his game uh, with, even with Poku, like uh, Poku had the blooper reels, obviously. Yeah. But, those blooper reels were like a funny joke on NBA Twitter. It wasn't a funny joke in the building. And so that's why you saw he got benched at times, even during a rebuild. Whenever you could say, well, why aren't you just playing him 40 minutes a night? Like, cause they're not trying to build those bad habits. And it resulted in within the span of three years, he goes from the biggest joke in the NBA on, on national Twitter. It's like, it's like real national NBA podcasters going, Hey, you know what? He's actually He's a pretty good stuff. rotational piece. And so it, it comes in not instilling those bad habits and not just rolling the ball out there and letting them play. Those guys that they did that with are no longer on this roster. And I think that there's probably a reason for that. Like, you know, even Isaiah Roby, who didn't play bad, uh, he was one of the first guys that, that was cut in pre preparation of last year uh, just because, you know, it, he they knew that he, kind of, he wasn't the plan. And then I think that the last thing is, to, to, to tie it all together, is don't be afraid to draft over somebody. Don't don't assume you have your guy. And the and the yep. last lesson from OKC is because I know you wanted to cut this to ten minutes and we're going a little bit long. The last hey, lesson whatever. is whatever. Yeah, it's, it's July. If you're they're listening to the program, they're being blessed with twelve minutes of Ryland Styles. Hey, yeah, you, you're an absolute sicko if you're listening uh, in July. But the last example is to me, Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Jay Will out of Arkansas, Jalen Williams out of Arkansas. So Jeremiah Robinson Earl as a rookie, looked like a rotational NBA player. He did. He, he looked, looked good. really good. But they still, after his rookie season, draft Jalen Williams out of Arkansas. And now come to this season, Jerry looks a lot worse and gets hurt and misses a huge chunk of time. And Jay will looks like a fantastic big man. They're both this 6'9", 6'10", big. You know, so you could have said to yourself entering last year's draft, hey, we kind of already have this, this right, slot don't field. Duplicate, yeah. Exactly. They were redundant, but they wanted that internal competition. 
And Sam Presti has said that exact phrase over and over and over again. That's why they carry 20, 21 guys every offseason because they don't care who makes the roster. They just want to make sure they find the best 15 guys plus the three, two, two-way guys uh, that, that, they, that they can get on their roster. So like not being afraid to draft over a guy because you think they might actually be something, letting them battle it out and proving that they're going to be something. You have that luxury whenever your whole goal isn't just wins and losses. I think the Thunder are a pretty good map for this. I know they were 40 and 42, but the Thunder are going to get picked. Like, it's July. We're going to get picks here coming in the end of August and in September. People who host big national podcasts, um, you know, some people with the last name like Lowe or maybe the Peltons, Hollingers. The Thunder are going to get picked to finish third in the West. I'm telling y'all. People are going to, they are jumping on the bandwagon. If you are late, Locked on Thunder's been rolling along. They've been they're at the front of the bandwagon. Ryland's got his little conductor cap on. It's coming. It's coming. The folks who do this, the prognosticators who do this professionally, big national broadcasters, they're going to they're going to hop on OKC's bandwagon this year because they're going to get good. Two years in the two years in the trough. Two two tough years in the trough. But one MVP candidate. That's really good. You got to get that. That's the start. Start at the top. Organizational stability. And not being afraid to pivot off of things that don't work. That is the lessons from the Thunder. Rylan, thank you so much for stopping by and lending us a little bit of expertise. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a, a fun ride. I think that the Blazers are in a good spot. You just got to get the right coach in place and then have a front office that's comfortable. Like Sam Presti was comfortable for this team last year to go either direction. It just so happened to win 40 games. You'd also have been comfortable the other way. So it's just having a front office that's comfortable, having a, a, a head coach that'll put your guys in position. And luckily for the Blazers, I really love Scoot, really love, yeah. really love Shaden Sharp. And th that's a really good starting point. And you haven't even seen the return yet for Dame. So yeah. uh, I, I think that it can go really smoothly. You just can't panic. Yeah, the building blocks are in place, but is it is it is there they've taken probably steps one and two, but steps like three through seven are where it gets a little dicey. And here we are, probably entering steps three through seven. Ryland, thanks so much again. Uh, folks, go listen to Locked on Thunder. Ryland does a great job. And uh, yeah, you're, if you're listening to this in July, you're a sicko. You might as well listen to another one, too. Thanks again to Ryland for joining the show. Truly appreciate it. It was a whole bunch of fun. And thanks to Jackson, too, for joining the show a little bit earlier. I hope you got a sense of what is ahead for the Blazers, potentially, and kind of the ways to avoid some of the pitfalls and how to, you know, lean on organizational structure to make sure that you don't stay bad for a while, even if you go young. That is going to do it for this week of shows. And a programming note as we get out of here. Uh, for the next six weeks, starting on uh, starting on next week, and it's the last week of July, you are listening to uh, Thursday, July 27th show. And starting uh, starting on next week, starting in August, uh, this, this show is going to pivot to three days a week until September. So we're going to take basically five weeks of, of three days a week. Still a regular show. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday is going to be our, our, our posting schedule. So still look forward in your feeds on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday throughout the month of August and into the first couple weeks of September. Then we'll really get rolling because uh, I'm going to pop back in at, and when September starts with player previews as we head into uh, see our, our season preview series that we do every single year as we head into training camp, which begins on October 2nd. Media Day is October 2nd. Training camp starts October 3rd. But for the next five weeks, after you listen to the show, we pivot to three days a week. Um, it's the only way that this is like sustainable mentally. We do a lot of these. I'm really proud this is the only Trailblazers podcast. But uh, even, 
even locked on Blazers. He's a little bit of time away. Um, you know, if the big thing happens and the Damian Lillard trade goes down, obviously we'll pop back in and do a, a, a kajillion episodes. You don't have to worry about it. If, when the time comes, I'll be ready to make Trailblazers content. But for now, if you're looking for the feed, if you're looking for the show every day, and I pride this, I, you know, it's, I take a lot of pride in doing this every day. It's going to go three days a week for a few weeks. Still join us. Still have a whole bunch of fun. I got some interviews planned. You're going to enjoy it. August and September, if you're a person who needs NBA content, Blazers content, it will still be here just a little bit less than you are typically used to. So still tell your friends about the show. Still come back for more. Uh, we're just, the uh, publishing schedule is going to change a little bit. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.